0: Well good morning and can I just add my welcome to those that have already come before. It's great to have you joining us online. We're continuing our series in Theos today looking at what it means to follow God. Last week we had Pat teach us about what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit and we're exploring what what we're calling primary dynamics of living the Christian life. So these are things which are you know day to day. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do we actually live these out? And so today we're looking at what does it mean to follow God? How can I wake up in the morning and look at the day ahead of me and go, you know what, I'm following God today. So if we think about following and we were to take a survey, I wonder what would be the most common understanding of what it means to follow God? I'd suggest that probably most people think it's about following His commandments. Certainly at the school that I teach, most of the responses would be about following the Ten Commandments. And that's absolutely true to an extent. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that following God requires you to be obedient to what he says. I mean, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives probably one of the most succinct burns that you could hear. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Ouch. Certainly, it's inescapable that to follow God, we do have to do what he says, but that's not quite the full picture. In fact, if that was all we did, then we'd be able to wake up in the morning and decide we're living a moral life, we're living a good life, therefore we're following God. But the story of the rich young ruler actually tells us that that's a flawed dynamic, that that's completely insufficient. Because the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I've kept all of these commandments. And Jesus' response is, well, actually, you're still lacking something. You need to go and sell everything and come and follow me. So the two of them are not the same thing. Following the commandments and following Jesus do not equal each other. We're looking at a passage today from Luke chapter 5, which is the calling of Peter. So we're going to start at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were watching, washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So what's happening here? Jesus has been teaching the people. He's commandeered Peter's boat, taken it out to the shore so he can teach from the lake while everyone else is on the shore. What are the fishermen doing? Well, they've been washing their nets. They've been out all night. The best time to fish is at night. And they've been trying and trying and they've actually caught nothing. And so they're they're at the end of a long night's work. They're washing their nets and it's the last thing that they have to do before they clock off and get to go home. So they're probably doing it quite disappointed with the lack of fruitfulness from the night's work. We can also tell that Peter here is, is probably... Probably equivalent to like a small business owner because he's uh, it's actually his boat that Jesus commandeers and and the way that the pronouns work out uh, we know that he's probably got a crew with him so he's the the fisherman who has the boat and then he's got a crew who works with him that is to say that Peter knows what he's doing he's an experienced fisherman and he's taken his crew out uh, all night so imagine that that Jesus whose expertise extends as far as carpentry and teaching tells Peter, well, why don't you go out and let down your nets for a catch? I mean, the audacity of Jesus at this point, if he wasn't the son of God, would be astounding. But what happens? From verse five, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, I'm just imagining Peter's reaction here because he's probably exhausted from the night's work. And Jesus is telling him to do more work. There's probably a deep sigh. And he says, well, you know what? Because it's you, we'll go out and do it. And I'm imagining his crew as well, the eye rolls from the crew. We're literally just washing our nets and now you want us to take them out again. It means we're going to have to wash them again and we're not going to get home until, you know, a lot later than than we would like to. But Peter actually knew Jesus prior to this or knew of Jesus and knew his teaching. So he'd been listening to him for a little while. We know that Peter had already experienced or seen the miracle of his mother-in-law being healed by Jesus. And so this step of obedience is not one necessarily of blind trust. It's a step of faith that's built on knowledge that he's had prior. So verse 6, let's pick it up again. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. So, firstly, how do we deal with a passage like this? It's not an instructional passage, it doesn't list out a series of teachings or a series of do's or don'ts. It's a narrative, it's a story. And it's a story about Peter and his calling. One of the things that people sometimes try and do with a scripture like this is to find a repeatable pattern. They see something there that's happened and they go, well, if I just do that in my life, then the same thing is going to happen. That's not the best approach with this because this is a specific story about Peter's unique calling. We know that Peter went on to be a very important person in the church. One of the apostles wrote some of the New Testament. So, the pattern that we see here for His call is not necessarily one that we should be looking to repeat or to apply to everybody. I mean, that might come as some relief to you. This isn't a sermon that's going to ask you to leave behind all of your nets, to quit your job and to just go out and wander in the desert as Jesus leads. No, we'll see in a moment what the significance of that is. It's not a repeatable pattern we're looking for. Sometimes people try to look for a repeatable precedent. What is it that we can see in this, past, in this scripture that happens that we can use as a precedent for our own life? Well, I'm sorry to say that the bulging nets of Peter's catch is not a precedent for the material blessing in your life. That's not what it's about. And don't expect necessarily that if you get a call like Peter did, that it's going to be preceded by something like this incredible catch of fish. No, what we're looking for in a passage like this is a repeatable principle. What is it about Peter's heart and his experience that allow him to make a radical decision to follow Jesus? That's what we're aiming for. Now, guidance for this kind of thing when it comes to following Jesus comes in both kind of a general, like a universally applicable sense, as well as in specific terms. So there are parts of following Jesus that are applicable to all of us. And there are parts that are, you know what, Jesus has a specific call for you and a specific way for you to follow. So we're going to split it into those two categories and look at each of them individually. We'll start with the general. How often do we wish that God had laid out for us our entire life step by step, has told us exactly what that's going to look like? so that we know where we're meant to go, we know what we're going to be doing in five years, we know who we're going to be with, we know where we're going to be living, what we're going to be doing for a crust. But it just doesn't happen. And you know what, if we do get that, then we'll end up trusting the path rather than trusting the God of the path. I think that that whole idea is pretty easily debunked by getting us all to consider if any of us have been given a roadmap. I certainly haven't met anyone who said that God has laid out their life step by step. We don't see that in scripture either. But rather, God tends to give us the next step and he expects us to act on that. Rather than giving us a roadmap to follow him, God actually gives us a compass. So how do we use this compass? Up until this point, Peter had been living his life for himself he had decided where he was going to go, what he was going to do. He had decided what the boundaries of success were. He had also decided the boundaries of influence, as much as he was able to control those. But picking up this compass is about reorienting ourselves towards Christ. Because when you pick up a compass, you look at where the needle goes, and you physically turn yourself, orient yourself in the direction that the needle is indicating. And this moment is one where Peter is reoriented at this point he's got one eye on jesus and he's got one eye on his own pursuits his own life and his own plan he's sitting there in the boat probably still washing his nets one ear listening to jesus ready to to keep going with his with his job and his career but then we know that that doesn't work and in fact we as christians can be pretty good at convincing ourselves that we're following god when in reality our attention is divided We say we've got one eye on Jesus and we love him and we're following him but really we've got the other eye on our own pursuits and we're not willing to give those over to him. The truth is it matters the direction that your feet are pointing because if your feet are pointing towards there it doesn't matter what your eyes are doing you're not going to be able to follow Jesus. So we need to reorient ourselves and Peter had that moment where in probably a space of 20 minutes he'd gone from experiencing the lowest of lows in his career to the highest of highs pulling in a catch of fish that was so big it was about to sink his boat I mean I don't know what fishermen dream about but I don't know that that sounds pretty close it's from that experience that he gets hit with this particular realization his realization is you know what it doesn't matter what Jesus is offering whatever it is is better than the absolute best that I could plan for myself. he just experienced blessing in his own direction far more than he could have ever imagined and yet in that moment he chooses to leave it all behind and to follow Jesus. You know our reorientation requires us to come to that realisation that whatever Jesus has is so much better than the best that we could bring for ourselves. That's the first step to reorienting ourselves to Christ. Paul puts, puts this in Philippians 3.8, where he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I wonder if that verse is true to you today. You're not necessarily being asked to leave your job, sell everything and move countries. But if God asked you to do that, would you be willing? Would you count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus? Reorientation also requires us to understand that our weakness, our unworthiness and even our sinfulness doesn't nullify the work and the grace of God. See, Peter's reaction to that moment, knowing that Jesus is incredibly powerful and incredibly holy, is to say, get away from me, I'm not good enough. And Jesus' response to him is, It doesn't matter. What matters is that you come and you follow me. And for us to properly reorient ourselves to Christ, we need to deal with all of those obstacles, deal with all of those excuses which say, I'm not good enough to follow you, or I'm not going to be able to keep up on the path. Because Jesus says, It's okay. Don't be afraid. All you need to do is to come and to follow. So, following Christ. And reorienting ourselves to him require these two admissions firstly that the life Jesus has to offer is far superior to even the best that we could plan for ourselves and secondly that our failures our weakness and our sin are no obstacles to follow him in truth it's actually not about you it's about Jesus so that's the general the universal side of things how to reorient ourselves to Christ But how do we get to the specifics of following for you? What does that look like for you and in your life? Because, you know, it's the specific parts of following Jesus that actually make the Christian life the most exciting. So we see in the passage that the precursor to Peter following Jesus was the call of Jesus himself. It was his voice. Prior to that point, he'd recognised Jesus' power and authority as well as his own sinfulness... And now, the invitation has come to move forward into the life of following Jesus. You know, John chapter 10 verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. The specific journey God has for each of us relies on us learning to listen to and identify and follow the voice of Jesus. And that's probably something that we've all struggled with at, at various points in our lives. But what does that look like? What does it look like to know that God is speaking to you? Does it come in an audible voice from heaven? Well, as much as we might like something like that, it's just not the most common thing. In fact, when we see in scripture, we have to remember that these people who have an experience of the audible voice of God, that's kind of like a highlight reel for them. That happens so seldom. ...in their life that they couldn't necessarily rely on it as a way to hear from God. And we shouldn't have that expectation either. But there are a few ways that God continually does speak to us specifically. The first one is through Scripture. God's voice and His revelation are always available through Scripture. And we should have a regular pattern of reading and devoting our lives to God through Scripture... And it's this unique relationship between the word that is spoken and the Holy Spirit's witness inside us that actually confirms whether God is speaking to us individually and directly. But scripture is the primary place for the voice of God to come. And these other aspects that I'm about to talk about should all be brought in accountability with scripture because God's not going to tell you to do something that is going to contradict what he is, what he has already said. One of the ways that God can be speaking to you, that God's voice can be coming to you, is through circumstances. We believe that God is in control of everything, that he's all-powerful. And so he's able to move around the pieces of our lives to get our attention or to lead us in a particular direction. So sometimes our circumstances can actually be communicating to us where God wants us to go, what he wants us to do or to be another way that God works is through a community and this is why the local church is so important and if I can try and explain this for a minute because the local church and the way that we can work out the will of God in community is one of the most powerful and life-giving aspects of what it means to be a Christian but at the same time because people are involved it can also be one of the messiest see we believe that God uses people to speak to people We get that precedent in the old testament where the prophets are the ones used to speak to the people of israel and how many of us know that it's been the encouraging word of a friend or of a mentor or of a family member that's actually gotten us through in the moments those things are just as much the voice of god speaking to us as they are the obedience of that person but at the same time people can get it wrong What happens when somebody shares a word over your life or somebody speaks into your life and it doesn't come true? Do we get angry at God? Do we get angry at that person? Do we give up on the idea that God can actually speak and can actually lead? We've gotta be able to navigate this difficult space in community where we allow other people to speak into our lives, where we allow them to have some kind of um, input But at the same time, we take that to accountability with Scripture. And we make that accountable to God. And we make the decision beforehand that, you know what, God, if you're in it, then I'm all for this. But if you're not, then I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be upset that somebody's got it wrong because we're all learning. We're all learning to follow and to hear the voice of God. And that's a difficult balance, but it's one that's worthy of pursuing. And you know what? Knowing the voice of God requires that practice. It requires us to actually step out and say, you know what, I think God is saying this, and then to see you know, whether it does happen. But we need to be teachable in that moment and to know that, okay, well, let's relook, let's have a look at scripture, let's see what God is saying there. And over time, we end up knowing God's voice better. That's why Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. One thing that's common to all of those is confirmation. God isn't trying to hide from you. He's not trying to keep himself from you, and he doesn't want you to miss what he's trying to say. So he will confirm through multiple means or through repeating that message what he is actually trying to say. Don't be afraid you're going to miss it. What we need to do is instead to position ourselves like Samuel did, When he received the call from God, notice that he got it wrong the first time, and he went to Eli instead of listening to God. In fact, he got it wrong the second time. Actually, he got it wrong the third time. But he positioned himself, and when he knew that the voice of God had come, it was obvious that that was God speaking. So confirmation is one of the ways that we know that it is the, the voice of God. So that's how we know some of the specifics. What do we do with that? Because if we know what we know, we can't stay still. If you really believe that whatever God has for you is better than the best you could have for yourself, if you really believe that your own brokenness, unworthiness or sinfulness is no obstacle to following and being used by God, and if you really believe that God can and does speak to you, and you can't stay still getting back to the compass and the question that I asked at at the start of this message how do we know that we can wake up in the morning and look at the day in front of us and go yes I'm following God today well I'm going to use an illustration and forgive me for the uh, the the relevance of this illustration I'm going to use um, video games but I I teach teenagers and and that's all they talk about so there are two types of video games Uh, there's one that uses what's called a, a linear level that is uh, kinda like Super Mario if you've ever played that game or, or Crash Bandicoot is one of my favorites but you load the level and you start and there's basically there's one track that you have to run and you've got to dodge all the obstacles you've got to jump over the right things you know get rid of the all of the enemies and that kind of such and if you if you mess up if you die then you go back to the start and you go again it's a, it's a linear progression. And you know, sometimes we think that following God is about, well, is like that, is a linear progression. And, and we're, we're terrified that we're going to put one foot wrong, you know, some boulder's going to come rolling from the side and knock us out, and then we'll have to start again. But that's not how following God works. God isn't sitting up there hoping that you don't make a wrong step or hoping that you don't stuff up and when you do, ready, he's ready to come in and punish. That's not how it works. Following God is much more like what's called a, uh, an open world game. It's one where you freely interact with aspects of the game and you can explore and move wherever you want. And it's in this type of game that a compass comes in really handy because you can be moving towards the objective without being restricted by the individual uh, steps that you're taking. There are many paths to achieving, achieving the objective. And even every sidetrack can be redeemable. And look, I know that this isn't a perfect illustration, but progress is redeemable. And the compass means that you should get moving rather than being concerned that you're taking the exact right step. You shouldn't be concerned that the next step is going to be a wrong one because as long as you're oriented towards Christ, there's no need to be afraid of taking a step. You know, lastly, sometimes we only know the step that is in front of us. And we see this in the Old Testament all the time, that God's leading for somebody is that they just need to do the next right thing. Well, actually, that's a quote from Frozen. But it's the same principle. Sometimes God only wants us to see one step ahead because that's where faith comes in. 2 Corinthians 5.7 tells us that we live by faith and not by sight. And what we find is that when we walk in obedience and we take that one step in front of us, suddenly our perspective changes. Suddenly we can see options that were not there before. And we can actually see that God's been working along the path the whole time. So to summarize, we need to know that the best that we could possibly offer for ourselves is nothing in comparison to the life of following Jesus. We need to know that none of our brokenness or sinfulness is an obstacle to following him and we also need to stay in motion. We need to decide that we're going to move and follow him and move forward. So to apply this, maybe we can reflect on some questions this morning. Do I need reorientation in my life? Do I need to realign aspects of my life to point towards Christ? That could be in terms of my character and the way that I'm behaving and conducting myself, or it could be aspects of my priorities Are my priorities really lined up with where God wants me to go and what God wants? The second question, am I learning to hear the master's voice? Do you know what your master's voice sounds like? And that's probably going to be different for for everyone. But are you learning? And then thirdly, are you moving? Is your faith stagnant or are you progressing forward? and pursuing Jesus. Thanks for joining us this morning. We hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks.